This evening we are ready to consider chapter 49 and the verses that are found in verses beginning at verse 29. We'll read through 33. Genesis chapter 49, beginning at verse 29 and reading through verse 33. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. This is Jacob now as he's on his deathbed giving instructions to Joseph and the rest of his children for his burial. Verse 30. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of of Ephraim the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. And there they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So we see yet another generation that has come and that is gone. We have seen and read the death and burial of Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. We see that God was faithful to Jacob in a very real and personal way to cause him to prosper as God said he would when he returned home after having been basically enslaved by his father-in-law. God said, I'll bless you and I'll make you a large, prosperous family. And he, he's done that for Jacob. But the promises that God made to Abraham that were passed to Isaac and now passed down to Jacob, those aren't going to end with, with Jacob. Because ultimately we're talking about God's plan of redemption for the human race. And that was to bring in that promised seed, that redeemer that would redeem all of the human race from the slavery to sin. And so that promise is going to continue to the next generation. And it does not die with Jacob. And this is so important for us to understand that we serve an eternal God and those who put their faith in him have eternal life. If you want to turn to Mark chapter 12, we'll read verses 26 and 27. It says that Jacob was gathered to his people doesn't mean that he was buried with his people. It means he was gathered to where they were. That is their spirit and their soul. Like his grandfather Abraham, Jacob was justified by his faith in the promises of God. And so for all of those who put their faith in the promises of God's grace, we know that there is justification. There is the privilege to stand forever accepted in the presence of God. And in Mark 12 and verses 26 and 27, Jesus made this point that Jacob wasn't dead. He had died a physical death, yes, absolutely. But in Mark 12, 26 and 27, it says, But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. The Sadducees of Jesus' day said there was no resurrection. They tried to trip him up with a trick question about the resurrection. 
And Jesus says, well, you're just mistaken. You don't understand the reality of God's plan and purpose. He said, I am, not I was, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is, Jacob has eternal life. Will one day meet Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I don't know. There's all kinds of thoughts and, and uh, imagination about what we'll do when we get into heaven. I don't know what all will transpire. I'll know, I do know that it will be everything that I need for eternity. But it's very likely that we will meet Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hebrews 11. We're going to the same place that they went to. One day we'll be gathered with them. They are our people. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10. The Holy Spirit gives us a little insight to just how deep the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. It's passed down from generation to generation. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for the eternal city. He knew that his earthly descendants were going to inherit the earthly land of, of Canaan. He knew that, and Jacob knew that, and so we see his faith to say, bury me there because that's going to be your inheritance. Egypt wasn't their inheritance. It was what God used to, to save them, that they survived the famine, but that wasn't what God promised them. It was the land of Canaan. Well, that's, that's for his earthly descendants. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had a revelation of an eternal city, and they looked for that city. And so Jacob dies a physical death, and always that de death is, physical death is such a cruel and dark enemy, and it seems so final. And in our own experience with death, death of our loved ones, it just seems so final. It just seems so cruel. And it comes in many different ways. And sometimes it's sudden and sometimes it's long and drawn out. And, and you know, I've, I've experienced both kinds. And there's no good way. <laughs> there's no easy way to deal with that apart from knowing that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ have eternal life. And that is our, our joy and our comfort and our strength to go forward, knowing that God didn't die with our loved ones. God's promises, his grace didn't end with them. It goes from generation to generation to those who will trust him. Now let's go on to the 50th chapter, the last chapter of Genesis. We'll see how far we get here, but... We'll see that the, Joseph and the sons of Jacob followed his instructions as a part of their faith in the promises that were now handed down to them. Genesis 50, and we'll read through verse 14, beginning at verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed, and the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. 
In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. That was quite a procession all the way back to Canaan. As well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Avel Mizram, which is beyond the Jordan, which means the Egyptian mourning. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. So God was faithful to fulfill all his promises to Jacob as an individual, is the blessing on his descendants. Jacob died a rich man. He died with a large flourishing family, which were all promises that God made to him personally if Jacob would just trust him as Jacob learned to do. And because of Jacob's faith, he left a legacy for his family, a legacy of faith in the faithfulness of Jehovah. And so his sons were faithful to fulfill the promise that that Jacob made them swear to because they also honored and respected Jacob's faith to know that that was the land that they were to inherit one day by the grace of God. And remember their time in Egypt, which ultimately ended in slavery, that even that was prophesied to be part of the experience that Jacob and his descendants were going to experience. They were going to be 400 years in slavery, but then God would do what he said he would do, and he would give them the land of Canaan. When we think of this legacy that's being passed down, this legacy of faith being passed down from generation to generation, we have that same privilege and that same responsibility to pass this message down to the next generation. God's promises of grace do not die with his faithful believers that have served him all their life and then have gone on, died a physical death. He's still the same God. It's still the same grace. We have that responsibility and that privilege to pass it on down to the next generation. Proverbs 20 and verse 7. This is a responsibility we need to take seriously. I know so many Christians that were raised in church, and as they got older and had their own family, they didn't see the need to raise them in church, didn't see the need to teach them 
the sound doctrine that was revealed to the Apostle Paul, and they think nothing of it. But for a child of God to to do that, it's a tragedy. We need to pass just like Abraham passed to Isaac and then on to Jacob and then Jacob to his sons. That's our responsibility and it's our privilege. And if we truly love our children, there's nothing of greater value than we can do for them than to instill in them the importance of faith in God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be an example of that faith, and then to teach them about what it means to have faith. Proverbs 20 and verse 7, the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. You may or may not be able to leave your children a large amount of money, but the most important, the most valuable thing you can leave them is an example of what it means to trust the Lord in every area of your life. This is why it's so important for us to have a local assembly, to raise our children in, and to invite others to come to know that same stability, that strength, that hope, that is hope that begins right now, but the best is yet to come. Because if it's just hope in this life, Paul says if, if we have hope in this life only, uh, we are to be pitied. We are miserable people. We have hope in this life, knowing he's going to comfort, he's going to guide, he's going to strengthen us when we look to him in faith in the midst of our troubles and trials and needs. Yes, we have hope right now, knowing that all things are working together for our good. But my hope goes beyond this life. This life at its longest is just a passing vapor. And the sooner we lay hold of that, so many people are afraid to even contemplate death, their own death or the death of their loved ones. It just, they just can't bear to talk about it or think about it. But the sooner you realize that death for the believer is not the end, the better off you're going to be. The better off you're going to handle life because you know death is already taken care of. You know that beyond death, for the child of God to be absent from this body, to die that physical death, is to be gathered to your people. It is to be present with the Lord. Let's go on to verses 15 to 21 of Genesis 50. Genesis 50 and verses 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Interesting scene we have here. Joseph's reaction is interesting. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God. What an attitude, what an understanding Joseph had. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. His brother said that Jacob asked them, told them, to beg Joseph not to kill him. That may or may not be true. Either way, we know that Joseph's response 
made it clear to his brothers that he had truly forgiven them. They had repented. They had shown repentance, as we considered in our earlier chapters. They, they had acknowledged the evil that they had done and asked forgiveness. And Joseph clearly showed them extraordinary grace and mercy and kindness. He forgave them. But now they're afraid, well, maybe he was just waiting till dad died. And now he's going to take it out on us. And this is why I believe that Joseph cried. I believe that their doubt of his grace and of his forgiveness, his genuine forgiveness, I believe that it hurt him to think that they would think that of him after everything he had done to forgive them and to to show them such mercy. He cried that they would think so little of him. All of Joseph's life had been motivated by faith in his understanding of the revealed will of God. God had a plan for Joseph And in everything that he went through, Joseph responded in faith, not in emotion, not according to his circumstances, and certainly not in revenge. If he wanted revenge on his brothers, he could have done it a long time ago. But Joseph always responded to his circumstance according to God's word. Again, such an example for us to follow. We are to respond to every circumstance, every situation, every relationship in faith, in what God says about that thing, that situation, that, that circumstance. Believe what God says about it. Joseph understood God had used him and placed him there for a reason. His brothers, yes, they were accountable for the evil. You meant it for evil. Yes, you did, and, and God's dealt with you. But God meant that, that same set of circumstances. He meant it for my good, and not only my good, but for the good of others. That many were saved, not just his brothers, not just Jacob and his descendants, but many in Egypt lived because God used Joseph, because God allowed his brothers to sell him. The, the perspective that Joseph had on his life and his circumstances is the one that we need to have. Too many times we consider ourselves a victim, a victim of circumstance or a victim of, of people's evil intent. If you're a child of God... Looking to him in faith, you are never a victim. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. God has a plan. Joseph knew that his brother's evil plans could not annul God's plans for him. And the same is true with us. Second Corinthians 4. If we could just imitate Joseph's faith, do you see what peace you would have in the midst of storms? In the midst of difficult, unwanted circumstances, what peace you would find just in knowing I'm in God's hands. I'm still in God's hands. Second Corinthians four sixteen to 18. Therefore, do not lose heart. We've read this many times. It's one of my favorite passages. But either this is true. Remember, God gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob specific promises, Joseph, specific promises. And God was faithful to fulfill his word. He's given us so many promises, and this is one of them. Even though your outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. And no matter how heavy and hard your afflictions are, it's still, in comparison to eternity, it still is described like light affliction. Because remember who's writing this. The Apostle Paul was beaten, thrown in prison, Stoned and left for dead. 
And yet he describes it as light afflictions. Think of your trials and your afflictions, physical, emotional, relationships. They seem crushing, don't they? They just seem overwhelming. But in, with the eye of faith, you can say what Paul says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and it's lasting forever. No, in the light of eternity, it's just a brief moment. And it's working for us, not against us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight or measure of glory. But there's a secret. While we do not look at the things which are seen, the trial, the pain, the loss, the heartache, which are real, but we look, we focus on the things that are not seen, the promises of God, that this is working for me an eternal measure of glory. Focus on that. For the things which are seen are temporary, even if they last for the rest of your life. They're temporary. But the things which are not seen, they are eternal. God's promises of reward in eternity. In Joseph's reaction here and in the actions of his brothers, I think once again we see a type of Christ in Joseph. Joseph showed grace to his brothers, unconditional grace. And yet his brothers now doubt that he's going to continue to show that grace. It broke the heart of Joseph for his brothers to think that little of him. Can you imagine how the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ must ache when some of God's people who have accepted Jesus as their Savior begin to question whether that grace will get them all the way to heaven or not? Will God ultimately pour his condemnation on us because somehow we failed him. Can you imagine how that must hurt the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life that we might have eternal life, that grace, that infinite grace, that boundless love that sent him to the cross, and now there are those of his children that come back and think, well, I know I, know I was saved, but now I wonder, is God going to be so angry with me that he'll cast me out? John 3.16 so many promises that we have. May we never doubt the saving power, the keeping power of the grace of God. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ is full and complete and forever. Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers, it was genuine, it was complete, it was forever. How much more the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him, what does it say? We know it, we quote it, we see it at the end zone at football games. But how many of God's people really doubt this? Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Life that never ends. That's full forgiveness. Many of us here have had the privilege of hearing this message of God's grace that saves us eternally, that keeps us eternally. And gets us ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many of God's people, so many Christians, have not laid hold of this. And it breaks the heart of their Savior. Joseph wept. I think we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't trust his grace. And may we help others who may not understand this. May we show them the completeness of his forgiveness. In John 10, take him to these scriptures. John 10, 27 to 30. It's one thing for us to know them and be comforted by them and to find our security in them. But we need to also teach others. 
John 10, verses 27 to 30. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them what kind of life? Eternal life. That's what it means. It never ends. And they shall never perish. There's no parentheses there. It says, unless something really bad happens, something that God couldn't foresee. It doesn't say that. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The triune God saves us and keeps us forever. Thank God for his grace and his forgiveness. How it must break the Father's heart and the heart of our beloved Savior when God's people doubt his faithfulness to love them and to keep them forever. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, past tense, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace, the mercy of God, the, the favor of God, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That is the certain expectation of glory. Not because we deserve it. Joseph's brothers did not deserve to be forgiven. Joseph forgave them. But we have this certain expectation of glory in the presence of God forever because we stand in grace. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you are placed within that infinite circle of the grace of God. Now there's so much more of his grace. Peter talks about added grace. There's so much more that we can enjoy and, and walk in. But we'll never leave that circle of his grace, of his favor. Thank God for his forgiveness.